Okay, so um, let's have a look at the habit and how to maybe generate. Am I preaching to the choir here in terms of, <laughs> does everybody have a habit already and we don't need to do this? Who, who would have a regular daily habit? Okay, so, so it still will be useful to, to go through this, yep. Oh, absolutely it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look, the name of the game with all of this stuff is self-compassion. And realize that you're not a machine. You're not a meditating machine. You're a person, you know? And that when you fall off the wagon, you fall off like everybody else and you get back on again, you know? Um, what this was specifically devised for the ED staff who would have never done anything like this before. Um, so, you know, a lot of this stuff will be familiar to you anyway. It's just common sense, right? But it's just kind of packaged in a way that can, we can use as a framework to develop a habit. Um, so there's been a lot of scientific research done on habits and how to engender them. Um, and the best way to look at it is to look at a nasty habit and see how that forms to see how you can actually form a positive habit. And the best example I can think of the nasty habit is smoking. So if you look at, at this page here, this is called the habit loop, and it's divided into three different sections. So one is a trigger, the next phase of it is a routine, and then there's a reward. And this loop goes around and around in every habit, good or bad. And the example of a bad habit, such as smoking, would be that a trigger occurs. So let's say you're in work, it's 10.30, it's break time, everybody else goes for a coffee and you go for a fag. That's your trigger. So the clock is the trigger, 10.30. The routine is you walking down to wherever your smoking area is and lighting up. And what's your reward? Nicotine. So, and that cycle continues. Now that habit will not maintain itself if there's no reward because the brain is all about getting goodies that it wants. So if you want to generate a new habit, it's all very well and good to say, I'm going to meditate every morning at 7.30. But if you want to really embed it, you probably have to give your brain a reward. Now you might be doing this unconsciously anyway, but if you can do it consciously and provide your brain, which in a way is, is like a little puppy that you need to keep it happy. And if you keep it happy, then you can get it to do what you want. So an example, what we have with the ED staff, if you can imagine, they're on shift work. So what we found was that they may be able to meditate when they come into work, so they go into their seminar room before they do their switch over in the emergency department and they can meditate there better. But when they go home or when they're off for five or six days, that's gone. Practice is gone completely. So they needed a framework at home and in work. And this example here in the first page is about the framework that they would use in work. So the trigger or the cue for them would be going into work at 7.30, into the seminar room, and then the routine is to meditate for 10 minutes with their colleagues. That's the routine. But then they have to introduce a reward so like a coffee or a croissant or an apple or whatever it is. So they include that in, does that make sense? And then that cycle loop continues over and over again. Um, and it's the same when trying to develop a practice at home or if you're on holidays, because a lot of people find that when they might be good meditators week after week after week, then they go to Spain for two weeks, it's gone. So they're waking up later or, you know, the kids are dragging them out to a swimming pool or whatever. So you need to have a framework for whatever phase of life you're going into so you can maintain your habit. 
So you've got a work habit, you've got a home habit, and you should have a holiday habit as well to try and maintain that throughout your life. Does that make sense? Um, so reward is really important if you're going to establish your, your meditation habit. You need to find out what that is. Um, for me, if I'm traveling to work on the train, uh, I usually meditate on the train. And my reward is the coffee or tea that I have in my flask. So I don't get my coffee until I meditate. I, I, I think it's important to get to a point, obviously not at the start, where you can meditate at rush hour in the tube in London, or you can meditate in Hungry Hill, that it's irrelevant where you are, because you can't get away from distractions, internal, external. So, you know, like this flappy picture that was up here, that's your friend, I think, you know? And it's flapping there to get, to tolerize you to the nature of reality, which is endless distraction. Um, so eventually, I think that the brain just goes, ah, oh, there's, there's no point, because this guy's just not going to stop. Um, but you have to crack that, and that takes time. You know, that takes months, at least, just to get into the basic habit, I think. Um, so reward, if you're, if you're trying to develop the, the habit loop, the good and positive loop, you need to give your body or your brain some kind of reward, preferably not a cigarette, but something that it wants and it likes. That's relatively healthy, you know? Um, the other thing is, if you're at home, and we all have morning routines at home and bedtime routines, the psychology of habit, particularly at home, would be if you've got an existing habit and you want to generate a new one, that new one should go in behind the existing one, right? So the, the best example of that is, I'm sure most of you have a toothbrushing habit in the morning. Um, and you probably do it roughly at the same time every day. That's an embedded habit now. You just do that automatically. You're probably still half asleep and you're brushing away. So if you want to get a new habit developed, you can stick it in behind the toothbrushing. So you don't brush your teeth because your brain will want to brush it. It wants to do it. But if you put in something before it, then you'll embed it with the existing habit. Does that make sense? So toothbrushing is one thing, you know. Um, Whatever your routine is at night, you know, whatever you like to do. Some people like to read. If, you, if reading is your habit at night, well, then you do your meditation before that. So you stick it in before the existing habits. The way to look at this is all the things you can do to help you reinforce this habit, the better, in a positive way. So rewards, um, pre-existing habits, that kind of thing. Uh, <coughs> right. The other thing is, generally... Habits don't become real unless you write them down and make them real. So you can say in your head as much as you want, I'm going to do this and I'm deaf. So I had a great retreat in Bear Island and I'm definitely going back now and I'm going to do 30 minutes a day. And it's in your head, la 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 la. And it never becomes reality because you don't make it reality. So one of the ways to make it reality is to write it down on a page. And that's what I have. And again, this is for the ED staff on the, on the, the back of that first page. You need to write down what your reward is going to be. You need to write down how you're going to integrate it with your daily life. And you need to make that inflexible. So it's a paradox. Meditation is all about acceptance and tolerance. But I don't want you to be tolerant or flexible with this time. That this is embedded in your life and that's it. And you make it a reality. Another way you make a habit a reality is you tell everybody that this is what you're doing. 
So the next time you meet your friend Joe, Joe says, how's your meditation practice? If you haven't done it, you're going to feel bad. So next time you meet Joe, you want to do it because you don't want to be embarrassed about saying, I keep talking about this and I don't do it. So again, it's another way to reinforce it. So make the habit a concrete reality on page, on paper, and to your friends and your family. That make sense? Um, so there's another, just w what I'd like to do in the next page, if we go through these point by point, right, and I, I don't want to be lecturing to you here, right, so I'd like this to be discussion. So if we can go through every point and you throw in your thoughts and ideas about these points, you know, maybe in your own practice you've found a way to overcome these or whether you feel it's true or not. Um, so we just go through them one by one. First of all, people who've never meditated, I think, underestimate how tough it is to meditate. That it's just about relaxation and just sitting on your bum and doing nothing. And as we know, it's probably one of the toughest things you could possibly do, mentally and physically. So I, need you, I, I think you need to accept that it's hard and accept that failure is always going to happen. If you go in with an idea of it's not that hard and everybody should be able to do it, when you fail, you're going to get upset with yourself and you're not going to do it anymore. Does that make sense? And then, I mean, this, along with your actual mantra, this should be another mantra. Be compassionate with yourself. Always, all the time. Um, don't start giving out to yourself. Be aware of that internal voice that says, oh, I see you can't even do that meditation. You're always just adopting these things and you never stick to them. Those voices aren't welcome anymore. You will fail with meditation, but then you'll get back up and do it again. And I think lots of people would even stop for years yeah. and then come back to it. Um, and like the good news about it is that it's never too late to come back to it. And if you're already familiar with it, you know, you can just, it's just like getting back up on the bicycle and just riding off into the sunset again. So I think the name of the game is to just do it. Yeah. Just do it. And it doesn't matter if you haven't meditated in 10 years or two weeks. It's just get back up again. There's no one judging you except you. So if you take that away, then you can just get back up and do it again, you know? Um, but I think, I think almost everybody would go through that, you know? So again, it's just about realizing what's normal, and what everybody goes through, because I think we can think that there are these super meditators out there that are, you know, everybody's the Dalai Lama and except me, you know, because I can't do it, and, which is not true. Um, See, so I mentioned about telling your friends and family, which I think is a good thing. The inflexibility about things like posture, space, the actual type of meditation, I think is really important, especially when you're developing the practice. You need the same posture, and you need the same space when you're developing it, because if you're meditating in the kitchen, on Tuesday, and then you go up into your converted attic on Wednesday, and then you're doing it on a train then on Friday. Your, your brain won't be able to hook into something that's regular there. So at least at the start, when you're trying to develop something, have that space set up, wherever it is, and that space can be on a bus, doesn't matter, but wherever it is, make sure it's the same space when you're developing it. And make sure it's the same posture. 